This week on WealthTrack, value investing under pressure and the pressure to go passive. Financial thought leaders James Grant and Jason Zweig weigh in next on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going. Additional funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, a Leg Mason company, Thornburg Investment Management, Active Management, Flexible Perspective. Ku and Patricia Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences, and the Fairholm Foundation. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. There has been a sea change in investing. It started years ago, but has accelerated in the last decade during the record-breaking bull market launched out of the financial crisis. Growth stocks, typically companies with above-average growth in revenues, earnings, or both, have way outperformed value stocks defined as companies whose current share prices trade below their estimated future value. Now, that is the exact opposite of what happened in the last 100 years. Between 1926 and 2016, value stocks clocked in impressive 17% annualized returns versus about 13% for growth stocks. Another big change, stock picking has fallen out of favor, weighed down by its lackluster performance. The average stock mutual fund manager in the U.S. has underperformed the market in various time periods over the last decade or more. And with a few exceptions, such as foreign stock funds and intermediate-term bond funds, the underperformance has spread to other asset classes. No wonder that investors have been accelerating their moves into passive index funds and out of actively managed funds of all types. What would Benjamin Graham and David Dodd, the fathers of professional stock analysis, think of these changes? The two Columbia University professors wrote the classic book, Security Analysis, in 1934. Several editions later, it is still studied by finance students all over the world. And Benjamin Graham, considered to be the father of value investing, wrote the definitive book on the subject, The Intelligent Investor, in 1949. Warren Buffett, a student of Graham's, calls it by far the best book on investing ever written. Now, this week's guests are leading financial journalists and thought leaders with an intimate knowledge of the thinking of Graham and Dodd because they both worked on the most recent editions of their investment classics. James Grant is the founder and influential editor of Grant's Interest Rate Observer, a twice-monthly journal about all interest-sensitive investments, which pretty much covers the waterfront. An accomplished author in his own right, Grant wrote the introduction to the sixth edition of Security Analysis, providing the historical backdrop. Jason Zweig was the editor of the revised edition of Benjamin Graham's The Intelligent Investor, and since 2008 has written a widely read column by that name for The Wall Street Journal. Zweig is also the author of several books, including Your Money and Your Brain, one of the first books to explore the neuroscience of investing, and The Devil's Financial Dictionary, a satirical glossary of Wall Street. Now, Warren Buffett wrote the foreword to the most recent edition of Security Analysis, which was published in 2009 saying that its authors, quote, laid out a roadmap for investing that I have now been following for 57 years. There's been no reason to look for another. Well, given the lagging performance of value investing, I asked Grant and Zweig how useful that roadmap is today. Well, I think there's a couple ways to look at it. The first is that, you know, the real utility of 
a value framework is that it helps modulate your emotions as an investor. Um, you're much less likely to get carried away at market peaks and with luck a little bit less likely to get uh, carried away with despondency in the lows, although I'm sure Jim would say that's been tested lately. <laughs> um, and um, I think because it gives for, you a discipline. It gives you a discipline that's very, very important, a right. price discipline. But it has been a long, long, long <laughs> so voyage in the wilderness. Michelle Davidvay, the aristocratic and, uh, and, and wise uh, head of Lazard Fair in New York for many years, uh, once I was in his company and he was consoling someone also in the company on a period of uh, underperformance. And he said in his Gallic way, he said, uh, uh, sometimes uh, you have a bed to keep. <laughs> Which I still love, you know. It's a, a, a um, you know. It, so Jean Riaviard, who was a very yes. accomplished value investor, value investor, and I think a friend of yours, mm -hmm. um, said, "Does it really matter if you hold a stock uh, for five years and it does nothing, and then on year five it goes up fifty percent? Is is that a problem? Is the weight well? The weight is a problem." Again, Jason is the authority on, on behavioral finance, but uh, uh, we are, as a species, uh, impatient, no? Yes. Uh, can, you, can you look that up? Yes, I think we so. are. Yes. We are, and we're social. And part of the impatience comes from looking to your left and looking to your right and seeing somebody who's doing better. Isn't it annoying? With the, I, I can't stand that. But, <laughs> but it, it's been over a decade that the value is underperformed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's not five years. That's really a long it is, time. It is a decade. Yes, it is a decade. <laughs> well, so nothing. I mean, so these cycles do persist, and what you have to, I think, Jason, what you have to look at is 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 the fundamental value proposition. Mm -hmm. So, the, what's the opposite of value investing? Is it like non-value investing? Is it like overpaying for growth? Right. Is that is that the approach? Yeah. Well, that works these days. Also, by yes. the way, buying heavily shorted stocks works. It's been going on a while. Right. That doesn't necessarily and mean that's the way forward. And lower quality stocks, that's mm -hmm. also been right. working. Right. So are we supposed to buy into that because it's worked? Well, yeah. <laughs> Some people <laughs> would say. Some people well, would say. Yes, well, well, the, the, no, 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 Consuela, no, we should not. We were put on this earth for better things than that. All right. How so, is that for a moralistic so approach to that? That's a very Ben good Graham himself wrote about what he called the new era approach in the 1930s. And he said, which turned upon the earnings trend as the sole criterion of value. And he said it was certain to end in an appalling debacle. And that was in the 1930s. So how likely are we to end this cycle in an appalling debacle? Jason. You know... Bull markets, and for that matter, the fashion of particular styles of investing yes. during bull markets can end in a myriad of ways. They can end in a whimper. They can end in a bang. They never, can end, never with a smile, though. Never with a smile. And they can end with nothing. They can just sort of dwindle away. Um, it's very hard to say what will happen or how it will happen. I'm going to say it's going to end very badly, and mm -hmm. for this reason, um, I think there's two things. Jason's written about one of them uh, most eloquently, and that is the corruption of accounting. Uh, yes. This business about uh, known in the trade as EBITDA. It's no sense going into it too deeply because it doesn't deserve it. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, and, 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 and. 
So that is represented to be cash flow. It is not cash flow. It is, it is, a, uh, is an imposter. And that has corrupted the entire food chain mm-hmm. of finance. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. The second thing is the suppression and manipulation of interest rates. Interest rates being, says the proprietor of interest rate observer, right. inter- the most consequential prices in capitalism. No, probably, possibly. Most uh, certainly. Suppressed, I say, over 10 years by the central banks. And my evidence for the suppression rather than for the natural dwindling of rates is that still to this day, there are something like $6.9 trillion worth of sovereign bonds in Japan continent of Europe, principally, that are priced to yield less than nothing. Right. QED, right? That's manipulation. It has to be. Yeah. So uh, years and years ago, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, David Hume, the great Scots philosopher, said uh, that you wouldn't take uh, low interest if you could have high profits. Well, we have very high profits. We have very high profits as a percentage of GDP. We have very high profit margins. We have yes. very high returns on equity. No? Right? So, and yet, juxtaposed to these uh, extremely prosperous conditions in the business world. We have depression-level interest rates in much of the world. How's that? Jason, you come in on this. So, are, are you as concerned as Jim is about that this is all going to end badly? Well, I don't think it's going to end well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have to view the future as a fan rather yeah, well than as, rather yes. than as a line mm-hmm. and. You know, we've been on a very strong uptrend for the better part of a decade, really, since March or April of 2009. In the markets. In in the U.S. stock market is up over 400 percent. Has been very, you know, a gradual until now, a gradual slow growth. Right. But there are lots. There are lots of ways that slope can can revert to normal. It can collapse. Mm It can flatten, mm-hmm. or it its rate of growth could slow and ev- and eventually curve down. Uh, I'm not comfortable forecasting the shape of the slope, right? But I think it's extremely implausible yeah. that it's just going to keep going up and up and up and up and up. Where are you seeing the most serious fault lines? Well, you know, I'm kind of an interest rate uh, yes. central banking and. Credit obsessive, and our focus is on on, on credit. Uh, the promise to pay money, and I see uh, big trouble looming in, for example, uh, the species of loans called leverage loans. These are loans to speculative-grade companies or bank loans, uh, supposedly uh, prime quality, but they are tradable. So you trade them in the market, a little like bonds, mm-hmm. uh, but they are uh, as a class of asset. Uh, they are uh, much less well secured than they were 10 years ago when they excelled. They excelled in 2008, this thing, leveraged loans and CLOs, which are collections of leveraged loans, yes. very, very well in the crisis. They will do, we think, much less well in any ensuing difficulty because A, the ratings on them are much lower, and B, uh, the fine print that defines the rights of the lenders has been eviscerated or erased. So the recoveries in bankruptcy, if there is to be a bankruptcy cycle, will be much lower. So the rate of return on these things will be much lower than it had been. Uh, Let me ask you about stocks. There is this theory, this TINA uh, acronym for there is no alternative to stocks. And again, going back to uh, Ben Graham, when uh, he 
and this is actually, Jim, from your uh, introduction to security analysis. And it was before 1929's market crash, people spoke of permanent investments, investment stocks. And there were the 20 most popular dividend-paying stocks at that time, which were considered to be infallible. I think, I think one of the difficulties we face today is that there are a lot of fads in the stock market. Um, and I think probably the biggest and the one that we should look at most skeptically mm -hmm. is this so-called smart beta idea. Okay. This idea of sort of indexes customized to identify certain characteristics that outperforming securities tend to have in common over time. Mm -hmm. Varieties. Fact factors, that, right? Yes, factors. Yes, factors. This is factor uh, investing. Yep, Very there are over, over 400 different varieties at last count at this investing Baskin Robbins. And um, I think it's led to an enormous amount of confusion among investors. There are um, highly naive um, or self-interested um, firms that are out there promoting oh, these strategies right. as if they're Every panaceas. Every firm, yes. Yeah. And um, there's no such thing as any value investor will tell you. There's no such thing as any factor that always outperforms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If there were, think how rich we'd be. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and the real problem is that most of these have been marketed on the basis of being sure things. Yes. Here's Ben Graham again. Uh, and he was, uh, and, and Jim, in your introduction to security analysis, again, I'm quoting from that, that his advice to institutional investors was he would advise kind of getting along in the low income provided by high-grade fixed value issues and that institutional investors should continue their holdings in this field and, quote, we doubt if the better performance of common stock indexes over past periods will warrant the heavy responsibilities and recurring uncertainties that are inseparable from a common stock investment Now, program. isn't that something? That is, yes. that is one, to my mind, that is one of the, the, the most thought-provoking things that Benjamin Graham ever wrote. And he wrote it, of course, in the slough of despond. I mean... I, one of the things I admire uh, so much about Graham is, is his moral courage in standing up to his own devastating losses in the early 1930s right. and composing security analysis. Mm -hmm. So it came out in 1934. He must have been writing it in 1931 and 32, near the very, very bottom. And he himself had been guilty of so many of the sins against which Jason mm -hmm. invades so well every mm -hmm. week in the Wall Street right. Journal. Uh, you know, he'd been on margin. He'd... he'd, he'd bought things he didn't know anything about. He, so he, but he, you know, he, he had within him, of course, mm -hmm. the great investor he became, and he was that, in part that great investor then. But he, he wrote, I think, in the, in, um, uh, uh, as, as a man of his age, that is to say, yes. of the, of, of, of the, the time, of the, of the, time, right. the 1930s. And, uh, but still, it's extraordinary. He didn't say that uh, institutional investors ought to give wide berth to equities unless they are compelling. You know, there's no, he just said, stay away and buy bonds, settle for bonds, which at the time, he, which at the time were, were trading at 2 and 3 and 4%. Mm -hmm. I, was just, it's, oh, I think that was just astounding. I think so it's astounding. So what is an intelligent investor well, what, 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 to do today? Yeah. What? One thing is to, is to recognize the 
age in which you live, I think, and, right. be, and be aware of the, of, the, of the zeitgeist, of the spirit of the time, and try as much as possible, if you can, to detach yourself from the overweening optimism or pessimism. Right. And so the zeitgeist now is recovering optimism after terrible pessimism because mm-hmm. of the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is an intelligent investor to do? Well, I think we've seen an interesting development over the past decade, which is increasingly investors seem to be indexing the bulk of their portfolio. I'm talking about individuals now. Yes. Although in many cases, this exact same thing applies to institutions. It seems to be this sort of core and explorer mentality. So I'll put most of my money in an index fund. Right. And then Mm -hmm. I will take a flyer on Bitcoin or marijuana stocks in the past few weeks. uh, And... Uh, I don't like that approach Um, because I think you have to be very careful. This is, again, a principle from Ben Graham, as he so so eloquently put it, never mingle your speculative and your investment accounts. And I think what a lot of people are doing is they're they're sort of pouring it all into the same bucket. The (laughs) notion that the core of one's portfolio now is in a passive index fund James Grant? I think it depends on uh, one's age. Right. Uh, so what, think, what age is that appropriate? Well, if, if, you're, if, if you're just starting out in life and you want to invest, what's wrong with owning the stock market? I think Jack okay. Bogle is exactly right on this. And don't, op- don't open the paper for 50 years and you'll probably do very well. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I think also there's room in this world for the enterprising investor, a phrase of uh, Benjamin Graham's. And there's nothing wrong. I think, I think one can't dogmatize that indexation. I hear this all the time, mm-hmm. that you either have to be for it or against it. Right. Um, I know people who have made long careers doing the impossible, and they, and they did it in ways that are perfectly plausible. I don't think it was luck. They, were, they devoted their lives to this business, and they have done. So, you know, that's possible. It's happened. It's demonstrable. Um, uh, so there's room for that. And there's also room for the thought that every good idea in Wall Street is driven into the ground like a tomato steak, mm-hmm. right? And passive investing it has been a fabulous idea, which has given rise to all manner of ETFs that are in business, take your money and not give it back. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, right? Yes. Or, and or wrong. Or, no, absolutely right. So I a, mean, a good thing has turned into yeah, an excessive thing. Right. As the founder of the Acorn Fund, Ralph Wenger, uh, taught me many years ago, on Wall Street, every bad idea starts out as a good idea. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, any, there's no idea so good that excess popularity can't turn it into a bad right. one. And do we need an ETF for marijuana stocks in Honduras? I don't think so. Will we get one? I would almost guarantee it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, the idea of a passive fund really should be limited to very broadly diversified, very low-cost asset categories that are appropriate for a lifelong holding, mm-hmm. just as Jim was describing. Does it, does it work in the bond world? Do index funds I don't, work in the I don't, bond world? I don't like the approach in the bond world. You own more of the he- most heavily indebted issuers. Right. Anyway, so what, what I think is wrong with indexation is mm-hmm. that the, the most uh, dogmatic adherents tell you, no, you're not allowed to think. You're not allowed to make 
judgment because your judgment is likely to be wrong. Valuation ought not, no, valuation ought not to play a part in the investment decision. Are there intelligent investors that you can rely upon, uh, skilled investors that you can rely upon probably to beat the market over time? Is that... I mean, is, is that still a valid proposition? There are those people, Consuela, but we don't know their names. <laughs> 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 yeah, we do a little bit. But uh, I do so take the point that beating this market is, is just nearly impossible. Beating a, a bull market. Well, beating, you know, being smart enough to, uh, to outperform uh, a broad index over time is a right. very, very difficult thing. Yeah. And one not, should, should not trivialize the difficulty. And... But I don't necessarily leap from that uh, observation to the, the certitude that the only way forward is, is to buy the Vanguard S&P 500 fund. I just don't. I, that's, yeah, there's, there's room for thought. There's room for analysis. There's, to be sure, there's room for luck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I guess I would just add one other point, which is you asked a minute ago, Consuelo, is can people or managers outperform in this bull market. I'm not sure that it's that much harder now than it ever has been. Really? Mm-hmm. There's a, I think there's a bit of a historical fallacy. Today's professional portfolio managers like to talk about how difficult the past decade or the past 15 years or the past 20 years, depending on whom you ask, has been. But I've read, I think, Almost every academic study ever written on the performance of professional investment managers all the way back to the 1920s. And I have yet to identify a long period in which a majority of managers easily outperformed and did it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, Jim, do you want to give us... An idea? Oh, okay. I'd say gold. Um, gold, still. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, 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 I um, almost feel apologetic, but not quite yet, because uh, getting back to one's observation about uh, decades. But uh, I say this in seriousness because uh, gold is the uh, is the uh, is the mirror image of the world's, I say, uh, unquestioned and misplaced confidence in the institution of central banking. And uh, so I, 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 I think that uh, there's a place for it in one's portfolio, and now is uh, an especially mm-hmm. good time for that place. I like, uh, I like cash. And I think if you're, if you're an investor in a high-tax state, uh, New York, California, Massachusetts, and the like. Right. Yeah, Connecticut. Um, a short-term tax-free money market fund from a company like Vanguard, although you can get them elsewhere, mm-hmm. it's pretty attractive. You can get one and a half to two percent pre-tax, yes, which is well ahead of inflation after tax, and um, it's not going to go way up under great circumstances the way gold might, but it won't go down, and. Um, you, it's, a, it's a decent yield, and more importantly, it can give you a little bit of psychological comfort um, at a time when maybe stocks and bonds as a whole won't do well. Great. Thank you both so much for being with us, Jason Swag. Yeah. Great. And Grant, appreciate You're welcome. it. Welcome. Thanks, Consuelo. Mm-hmm. 
At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is stick with your investment game plan and don't try to time the market. There have been numerous studies and examples of how investors sabotage themselves by buying and selling at the wrong time. 2016 was a recent case in point. The S&P 500, along with other indices, were down 10% by mid-February. If you pulled out, you had a loss. The S&P then rallied strongly to finish with a nearly 12% gain in the year, but about one half of that advance came within the last two months of the year. So unless you were invested at the tail end, you missed it. The moral to this story is if you have decided you can take the risk of investing in stocks, stick with your game plan, whether it be with an index or an actively managed fund. Next week, as Jim Grant's Interest Rate Observer marks its 35th anniversary, he discusses why interest rates still matter. In this week's extra feature on our website, Grant and Zweig each recommend a recently read book that has expanded their knowledge and influenced their thinking. We also look forward to hearing your recommendations and comments on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.